Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey Blackburn and joining me, Emily Schiltz. How are you doing, Emily? Good. Something in my head just really wanted to be like, I'm so bad to I'm, see how you would react. I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> but yeah, that's not a good intro. So I'm so good. good. I'm glad I'm so to be glad. here. Yes. Podcasting me too. is fun. New year. New year, new, new year, you. New year, new you. Hello. Twins. We're doing a we just series said that and it wasn't planned. at church called New Rules of Resolution. New, new Year, New You, A New Way to Change. You know. Is that all the title? No. Okay. <laughs> no, that's just, I felt like that's putting a bunch subtitle. of subtitles on it just now. <laughs> New rules of resolution. I like it. <laughs> change the way you change. It's like all the words on the bulletin are going to be New year, so new year. <laughs> Literally, let's just do a collage of all of the, <laughs> all of the things you could title this <laughs> and put it all in one. Oh, fantastic. We hope you guys are already having a fantastic new year. Yes. We're, I mean, we are super pumped about this next year Yes, with Nothing Is Wasted, the podcast. Mm-hmm. We are, as we talked about in Nuepobos. Nuepobos. You haven't listened to Nuepobos. You need to go back and listen to the previous episode as we recap 2018. But as we talked about there, we've got some things that we're so excited about that we're planning on laying out this year yeah. and unfolding when it comes to Nothing Is Wasted, more than just a podcast, but even like building out a full-fledged ministry is what we're Mm -hmm. really trying to do. So, man, super pumped about that. Yeah. Really pumped about this interview that we have today. Yes. Because we have been, can I say obsessed? Like is obsessed probably the proper appropriate word? Yeah. I feel like people looking in on our circles would think that we're obsessed because we're constantly talking about the Enneagram. Interested in, intrigued by. Intrigued by. Maybe that's a better, at least seems more healthy of a... (laughs) Descriptor. (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally obsessed with this. Uh, We do talk a lot about the Enneagram, and we have a host, or not a host, an interview today um, with probably one of the leading experts Mm. on the Enneagram today. And he studied under what some would consider the expert of the modern day interpretation of the Enneagram. Uh, He studied under Father Richard Rohr. Wow. Um, and so this is Chris Hewitt's. Mm-hmm. Chris Hewitt's. It's his last name is really fun to say. Hewitt's. Chris Hewitt's. And uh, what a fascinating guy. He spent a couple years over in India studying yeah. other, under Mother Teresa. Yep. He wrote the book, The Sacred Enneagram, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic read. Really gives you insight into the Enneagram, kind of a first step into it. Um, but what I love that he talks about is he begins to overlay the gospel in yeah. a lot of the book, as far as helping us to see what the Enneagram is and the power of the Enneagram, that it's a tool for transformation, not just this personality test right. that um, that we take. Yeah, so, I was going to ask you that question for maybe newer listeners or people who haven't heard about yeah. the Enneagram. Tell me what the Enneagram is okay. and what it isn't. Yep, that's great. So the Enneagram is... Uh, in the simplest form, it, it is like a or similar to a personality typing or testing like the DISC or the Myers-Briggs, if people are familiar with that, yeah. you know. Um, but it, it is so much more complicated than that. There are layers and layers and layers upon which uh, the Enneagram continues to unfold. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's way more than just a personality typing. You don't just get this like, hey, this is your type and that explains who you are and and then because of that, people can kind of use that as an excuse for right. who they are. It's like, well, you know, in a disc, well, I'm a D, you know, right, so sorry. I'm just going to roll over you. I'm going <laughs> to bulldoze you because I'm a D, right. like that's what I do. And so it's it's not like that. It is um, more about identity than it is personality. Mm, that's good. So it, it kind of helps to inform you of your uh, greatest fears, your greatest motivations, okay. like the the impetuses, impetuses, impetuses behind some of the decisions that you make, yeah. behind how you view the world, behind how you perceive things that are coming into your um, absorption of the world. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a very intuitive thing in that it, it it types you in a certain way that says, okay, this is your propensity. This is what you're going to end up 
being strong in, but also struggle in. And like, it's just a really, really powerful tool. And so, so what we talk about a little bit with Chris is like, what exactly are these types, these nine types? Yeah. Lay these out for me, explain these to me. He does a phenomenal job of really describing and explaining. Mm, I can't wait. These, these, and it sounds like you're going to think that he's reading this off a page and really? he's not. He literally is looking at the, when we were talking on Skype, he's looking at me and just kind of like looking off to the side a little bit and just like spitting this out wow. because he's so... It's so he's so absorbed all of this information about the the Enneagram. Right, he's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But um, what what these nine types describe these nine different types? You kind of become aware of what type you are, Mm -hmm. and so therefore how you're perceiving things, and and that's just the first step. Yeah. It's like now that I know what my propensities are, what my greatest temptations, my fears, my motivations are going to be based on my type, then I know how to be transformed. by, you know, the gospel through this type. And so the whole idea is trying, and he explains this way better than I can, but (laughs) trying to get back to how God originally created you to be. Like trying trying to find the center of redemption of who you are specifically, your identity in Christ. And so it's kind of like the, the, the fragmentation of the world, the, the world being broken because of sin and how it all falls out and it falls out into nine different types. Wow. And then we're trying to become restored back to wholeness mm-hmm. in Christ. And and so, you know, if you're a, a three like me, you know that you have certain propensities that you have to be aware of uh, because these things are driving motivators and fears in you, but they need to be used to help shape you back into the image of Christ. Yeah. Is that the best way? That I, I was feel like so good. Can explain that? It's probably yeah, the best way. Yeah, you're talking about Chris not like looking at any notes. You didn't either. <laughs> that was really good. Oh uh, no, it's fun. So we've talked a little bit about your enneagram. What are yes. you? Uh, I'm a nine. Okay. Which is a peacemaker. Yeah. Um, and I am pretty sure that I have a wing one, which okay. is the one as a perfectionist. Right. So, um. I haven't honestly done a lot of deep diving into the Enneagram, but the more I've like looked into what a nine wing one is, the more I've understood more about even the way that I respond to different things Mm -hmm. and why that is. So for example, a nine um, is more susceptible to anger. And to be honest, um, (laughs) in the past year, like as we've learned more about what the Enneagram Mm. is, I've realized that anger is something that, is pretty prevalent in my Hmm. life. And it looks different than the type of anger I grew up with. Right. right? Like, um, and I think that's been kind of hard as part of my story. Um, anger was like a prevalent thing in our home. And so I've had to process over the last year. Okay. What does it look like that I am, I can be somebody who is fueled with anger, you know? Um, but how do I almost, um, use that passion yep. and make it purposeful, exactly. right? So like, how do I have more of a justice mind yeah. when it comes to my anger versus rage? More of like a righteous anger. Yeah. How is it channeled into that? Exactly. Yeah. And so it's been really helpful. There's things like that that I've found that the Enneagram really yeah. helps to provide clarity yeah. to my responses. Well, it helps to provide clarity for you and the people that you love around you. Yeah, it's you know, true. It gives you more empathy or someone that you're in relationship with, you know, yeah. I, I'm a th- I'm a three, Christy's a seven. We can begin to study together how threes and sevens tend to relate. Mm-hmm. It was so funny. We were, um, a couple weekends ago, we were out in San Francisco with some friends of ours and staying with them and talking to them about the Enneagram. And he's a seven, she's a one. Okay. And so I looked up how a seven and a one relate to each other. And I sent them the article on that. I said, mm-hmm. hey, read this. Does this describe your relationship? And she was like, she responded, she was like, oh my gosh, to a T. Wow. Which is crazy how intuitive this Enneagram is yeah. and almost invasive. You're like, whoa, right. hey, you're kind of reading my mail a little bit. Right. Like, like, how did you know been that? Watching us. How did you yeah. know that? Not just how did you know that about me, but how did you know that about my interactions with yeah. other people of different types? That's right. crazy. So it does begin to help you like, gain an empathy toward people because you can start to understand how they're perceiving the world. Mm -hmm. And so it informs what their actions are. And you can go, oh, you know what? Your actions, I was judging your actions, but really now I can have insight into your intentions. And I can like understand a little bit better how you're and why you're doing this, you know? And it's just, it's been a a really cool tool for us in, in transformational 
health yeah. in a lot of ways. I'm excited about deep diving into it a little bit more. Yeah, me too. I'm excited for this interview with Chris. Yeah, yeah big time. Hey, also, before we hop into your interview with Chris, Hewerts is such a fun <laughs> name to say. Hewerts. Everybody try it in your car right now. Hewerts. 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 See, it's fun. It's really fun. Okay, so there are four ways um, that y'all can be involved. I just said y'all. Yeah, y'all. There are four ways that you can be involved um, with the Nothing is Wasted podcast and the Nothing is Wasted ministry Mm. as a whole. Um, And so I'm going to lay those out for you really quick. If you have any questions about the ways that you can be involved, Mm -hmm. reach out to us at hello at Mm nothingiswasted.com. But those ways that you can be involved is to pray, uh, to rate and review the podcast, to share it with your friends and family. Um, And you can do that via social media, but also word of mouth. Yeah, I've heard so many stories about um, even some dear friends of mine who've been like, wow, the podcast has been so helpful. Mm-hmm. And then I had this friend who went through this and this <laughs> episode was perfect for their situation. And so I was able to tell them about it. Like, so cool. So you can, you don't have to like officially share that somewhere, but just tell somebody about how this podcast has changed your yeah. life um, or impacted your life. And then um, the last thing that you can do is give to this podcast. Yeah. So it does... Um, costs a little bit financially to produce this. Um, and so if you feel like Jesus is putting it on your heart to give, uh, to support this podcast, mm-hmm. you can go to davyblackburn.com slash give. Yeah. Okay, let's jump right into the interview with Chris Hewitts. Chris, man, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It's great to have you. Yeah, I appreciate you including me. Thanks thanks a lot. Man, I have just finished, literally two days ago, the Sacred Enneagram, just an incredible dive into what this Enneagram concept is. I so appreciate you writing that. I really want to turn all of our listeners on to the Enneagram, but I think one of the things that really struck me was you talking about some of your backstory and just how you got connected to the Enneagram, particularly with this time that you spent with Mother Teresa. Can you just open up, talk a little bit about your story leading up to present day, um, some of these major influences that have been in your life and how those have attributed to kind of this message that you're spreading a lot? Sure. So uh, between my my third and fourth year of university, before my senior year, um, I spent the summer um, in Korea and Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, uh, Bangladesh, Nepal, and India. And as a student, I was just looking for for signs of hope. I was looking for for groups of people that were out um, working in in places of deep pain and and, and pronounced poverty. And um, as you can imagine, of course, if if you're in that part of the world, South Asia in particular, um, missionaries to charity are, are are one of the f- one of the groups at the forefront of that work. Yeah. So I was. You know, I'm, I'm trying to remember, I, I think I was 21 years old, maybe, um, went to the convent where Mother Teresa lived. Um, wow. They sort of call that the mother house, knocked on the door. Um, and if, of course, if you've been there, you you, you know how this works. Um, there was a nun who who met me and, and, and brought me in, poured me a cup of tea. And um, I asked if, if if I could volunteer. And and of course, they're really hospitable there. They, they make it super easy for people to, 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 to come alongside their work. Hmm. Um, in fact, Every every day, there's there's dozens and dozens and dozens of, of folks from all over the world just sort of pitching in. So they sent me to um the, the house for the dying, one of the first homes that, that Mother Teresa had started, and and I ended up going there six days a week for two months. And in those first two months there, um, I attended to fifty folks who who didn't survive that summer, who who didn't make it make it through. Anyway, while I was there, um, there was this, this, I think it was a British man who was just like, you, you really need to spend some time with, with mother. And so, um, helped sort of broker an introduction and that became the first meeting of, uh, of a dozen or 15 over the, the next few years with her that, that really, really shaped what vocational fidelity and, and what really bringing, um, sort of a heart of, 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 of service into activism mm. would become for, for me. Wow. You had an interesting uh, interaction with Mother Teresa at first. I remember you explaining in the book. Will you, will you tell us a little bit about that? Um, some of the questions she asked you? Yeah. So the first time I ever sat with her, um, I mean, she, I, I, you know, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to 
ask the most profound questions anybody's ever asked her. I'm going to shake this lady down for like, like the great mysteries and secrets of the universe and spirituality. And of course, as soon as she walked in, she just grabbed my hand. She, she sat down, um, right beside me and, and held my hands in, in her lap. And, and then she just looked at me and it's like, I, I don't know that I've ever sort of gazed in, into more loving eyes in my life. Mm. And then it was just like, where are you from and why are you here? And 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 it was really just sort of tell me about yourself. And I and I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was really disarmed. Um and um and then of course at the end she started to tap on my chest and she goes, I, I just wanted to ask you one one last question. And I was like, Anything, mother? And she's like, Is is Jesus in your heart? And I was like, What? <laughs> and uh, you know, this is back in the 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 early to mid nineties when a lot of you know, born again folks in Protestant traditions were still sort of side eye and Catholics wondering right. if even Mother Teresa was going to be saved. And I was just like, <laughs> oh my goodness, this lady's actually getting at it. So wow. that's amazing. She gave me all these little prayer cards and little uh, Mary medals and uh, crucifix. Um, and she'd sign these little notes for me over the years. And, and I'm so bummed about this because, of, you know, not realizing then, um, sort of her impact, um, and who she would become mm-hmm. my own life. Um, let alone historically, I, I gave my mom most of that stuff. I think I threw a lot <laughs> of that stuff in backpacks and, oh, wow. and I can't trace most of it down, but, uh, man, but she was, she was remarkable. What, what do you feel like were some of the biggest things that you really gleaned from that experience over in Calcutta and serving with her, um, at that point in your life? What was some of the big major, uh, formative um, lessons or formative transformation things that happened in you over there. Yeah, so I I think there's a couple things that stand out from my my time with her, and 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 the first is, you know, this like all ordered communities, right? Um, if it's the Jesuits or the Franciscans, whoever these these ordered groups are, it's the Benedictines. Um, their lives are built around prayer, right? Mm. And so very typically ordered communities will, will, will make five intentional pauses throughout the day for prayer. And, and the missionaries of charity were, were, were not an exception to that. And so we would join them in the morning for mass. Of course, there would be um, these sacred pauses throughout the day in, in the evenings or early evening, there would be adoration. But I used to think this, I used to think, man, they have to pray five times a day just to support their work. That's how hard they're working and that's how intense it is. But, uh, you know, reflecting back on it, I started to realize like, actually, they're not praying to support their work. They're committed to their life of prayer. The work is simply the fruit of it. The work is what comes from the prayer. It was prayer first. And and I think flipping that upside down brought a lot of clarity. Secondly, I think um, like any good mentor, you you learn more from watching them than from the words they say. And, and I think that's why my mother was so brilliant. It's mm. everything she said was embodied in, in her life and in love. And, and it just gave it a depth of credibility that I think a lot of folks um, sort of wish they had. But it's like you you only get that through the, the, the sacrifices. And, and then third, um, you know, in the nonprofit that I, I I run now, it's called Gravity, and it's a little center for contemplative activism. And essentially, we're just helping people who help people. We're helping people with mm-hmm. active lives um, cultivate mindfulness meditation and contemplative practices as a way of grounding their social engagement in, in, in a deep spirituality. Well, that's really, I think, maybe the most significant thing I learned from others is that these postures of solitude, silence, and stillness are, are really luxuries. Not very many of us can get away on retreat at a little monastery out in the mountains. Yeah. But these have to be interior postures that, that, that we can actually access at any point in our days, um, our active lives. And and so if you're a a parent with young children running around, um, the possibility of interior solitude, interior silence and interior stillness is, is still there for you. And, and, and I know we all have excuses why we think we can't find it or access it. Mm. But man, it's like you you go to Calcutta and, and and you see the demands that the sisters and brothers within the missionaries of charity are are, are confronting and contending. It, it's 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 nonstop. It's overwhelming. But they still could prioritize wow. and, and nurture and nourish this this aspect of their spirituality. It was it was really remarkable. So it's kind of like here in the Western you know world in the United States, we think that we're so busy. And so that has created excuses for us not to find those places of mindfulness and solitude and prayer, reflection. And yet you're looking at 
these um, these folks who are serving people nonstop. It's like, well, you think you're busy. <laughs> you should mm-hmm. see these people. They're busy with the right things too. And it's almost like that old, uh, old what is it, John Wesley quote where he's like, um, I've got so much to do today. I don't have time not to pray. <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? Like I've got to get up an hour earlier and and get after it in some time with the Lord to make sure that the fruit of that, I love what you just said, the fruit of, of their life, the fruit of their service was was rooted out of prayer. It's so great. Um, th- this, this idea of solitude, uh, contemplation, all of that is woven into a lot of this book that you wrote, the sacred, the sacred Enneagram, but you began to have some interaction with the Enneagram after your time in Calcutta. Is that correct? Well, so the work I did internationally, that was, that was over, over the course of 20 years. Okay. And, wow. um, so I'd lived in India, um, spent the, the good part of a year living in Peru. Um, the organization that, that I had, had, had become the director of, um, we ended up with, with projects in, in about 15 countries. And, um, so I was traveling for those 20 years, I was traveling pretty, pretty extensively internationally. Wow. And that's when, when I was introduced to the Enneagram. Okay. So we probably have a lot of listeners who they've heard us reference this thing, the Enneagram, maybe they've heard the buzz around different circles and stuff. But, um, if you would take us a little bit through a crash course on the Enneagram, because I think it, it, it has a profound impact on who we are and how we change as people. Yeah. So if you're you're unfamiliar with the Enneagram of personality, and, and very specifically, that's sort of the, 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 the newest, let's say, overlay of a tradition that could be thousands and thousands of years old. If you're new to this, the Enneagram of personality essentially just says there's nine ways of, of being you. There's, there's nine ways of, of, of finding your way back home. Mm-hmm. And very simply put, um, folks will, will sometimes say the, these are the nine um, human archetypes for character structure or personality styles. And, and so I, um, I, I, I understand that. And, and, and I think that makes it really, um, approachable. Um, but I actually think we're not our personalities. And in fact, one of my teachers, Sandra Maitri sometimes even thinks that our Enneagram types or our personality styles are, are sort of the prisons where we've parked our essence, where we've mm-hmm. incarcerated the, 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 the truest, most authentic parts of ourselves. And so she'll say something to the effect of I'm, I'm less um, interested in, in, in talking about the thickness of the prison walls and describing the, the sort of shape of, of this cell and, and really wanting to get to, to the true self, the essence of, mm-hmm. of, of what's underneath all that. So I, I sometimes say this. I sometimes say that the Enneagram shows us our ego set of coping addictions that we've wrapped up around a childhood wound so that we don't have to tell ourselves the truth about who we really are. <laughs> wow. And that's the bummer because most of us would rather <laughs> – trick out and build out this scaffolding around our own ego mythology than really wake up to um to what we've fallen asleep to. Yeah. We would rather stay asleep than remember that we were born purposed with a gift and, and it's important. It's actually the most urgent work of our lives to reconnect with that gift so that we can live from it and, and into it and, and share it with the world. Right? Wow. Well, I love what I love about it is it overlays so much with the gospel and this idea of like, you know, the original um the image of God in each one of us as, you know, children of God and then sin fracturing that. And then there's this effort by Jesus on the cross to redeem us back to the original intent that he has created each one of us. And that overlays with the unique, distinct way that he created each one of us. You know, these nine types. I don't know if I heard you say this one time or someone else I heard say it's like, it's almost like the image of God is broken into nine different types. You know, it's like these, but then there's so much interplay between all of those that creates a lot of complexity within all of that. So if you're breaking down each one of these nine types uh, in the most simplest way that you can explain what's type one, what is type two, what is type three? Yeah. So if you're going to, to run around the circle and, and I like to call it sort of a color wheel because these numbers will, will, will bleed into each other. There, there's a couple easy, easy ways to get there. So the first one was, was how I learned this from my first teacher, um, father Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan friar who lives in, in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, father Richard used to sort of teach it like this type one is the need to be perfect. Type two is the need to be needed. Type three is the need to succeed. Type four is the need to be unique. Type five is the need to understand. Six is the need to be secure. Seven, the need to avoid pain. Eight, the need to be against. And, and type nine, the need to avoid. And uh, that made a lot of sense. And, mm. and I think for a lot of people like you, you probably can find yourself in one or two or three of those almost immediately. Um, 
like I said, because it, it's the color wheel. These, right. these numbers bleed into the, the, the numbers adjacent to them or, or above and below them. Right. Um, if you want to get a, another shake at it, you know, the Enneagram Institute, which was was the work of the late Don Riso and Russ Hudson and Enneagram in the narrative tradition, which was really built off of the work of the late Dr. David Daniels and Helen Palmer, they, they gave names to these nine mm. types. And I generally don't use the names, but the names help folks remember, let's say, the impression or the energy of the types. So one is sometimes called the perfectionist or the reformer. Two is sometimes called the helper or the giver. Three is sometimes called the achiever um, or performer. Four is sometimes called the romantic or the individualist. Five is the observer or the investigator or the theorist. Six is the skeptic or the loyalist. Seven, the um, enthusiast. Eight, the challenger. And nine, the, the mediator or the peacemaker. And that's another way to get there. Um, but, you know, you, you, you that's really just on the surface. And, right. and what you, you really have to do is you have to start to unpack the essence of what's going on in these types. And, and truthfully, my sense about these types is it's the nine ways that, that we suffer not being loved mm. or not allowing ourselves to receive love. And, um, and so when I, when I introduce the Enneagram and, 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 and workshops or retreats or, or in, in, in some of the things that I've written about it, I generally try to approach it through the imperfections in our early holding environments. Mm. Um, and in the Enneagram, they sometimes call that your childhood wounds, but I, I actually don't think these are real wounds. I, I think it's the confirmation bias to ourselves of how we got stuck or where we fell asleep or, or mm. how we got disconnected from our essence. But still, we we experience these as a kind of, of jarring out of that essence. And so the language wound may may be helpful. Yeah. When I when I introduce these types, I, I, I try to introduce them through how type evolved, through how personality emerged as a way of finding compassion for ourselves. Because mm -hmm. if we, we can't find compassion for ourselves, um, we, we, we certainly are not going to find it for anyone else. And then secondly, if we can't understand the why of how we got here, we're never going to understand the, 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 the why we need to get back home. And mm -hmm. even the how would we, would we get there if we said yes to that, to that work? Yeah. So some, you know, the, the interesting, the distinct thing about the Enneagram as opposed to like Myers-Briggs and his, you know, disc personality and stuff like that is that it really informs us a lot of our deepest fears and deepest motivations, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can kind of almost, and, and you would suggest, correct, probably rather than going and taking a test, actually digging in and more self-discovery. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know people, there's some folks out there who would really urge folks not to take tests, to mm -hmm. get type, to, to bring type forward, that it, it really has to, to, to require looking inward. And I'll say this, I'll, I'll say, if I don't say this a hundred times, I haven't said it enough, that if you can't <laughs> self-observe, you can't self-correct. Wow. So it's really about bringing into awareness the, 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 the parts of ourself that are hidden in our shadow, the, the parts of ourself that, that we don't want to deal with or contend with. And, and even finding compassion for those aspects is, is sort of how we start to see, see these prisons that we've, we've built out for ourselves yeah. and, and parked ourselves in. Well, we could go threads and threads and layers and layers into each one of these types, but I'd love if you would just take a moment and kind of inform us as, as, as someone who's listening to this for the first time. And if you run through the gamut of one through nine, inform us of this, like what is for a one, what is the deepest motivations of someone who would be, um, their propensity would be to type as a one, what's their greatest fear, and maybe help us to just get a little bit of a surface level of that as we're trying to point people more in the direction of that discovery of themselves. Yeah. So, all right. So if, if we were to run around the circle here, um, type one is, is, um, these are very principled people. These are folks who have incredibly high standards. These are folks who, um, are, are responsible, who follow through, who, who show us what integrity is and, and they help us understand why structure, um, leads to, to, to flourishing. Um, this comes from the, the basic fear of the one, which is that they are somehow in, inherently corrupt. And so as children, there, there may have been a, an experience of a frustration wound with a protective caregiver because the, the, the little boy or the little girl who, who wanted to show their, their, their caregiver or their parent that in fact they did love them 
was going to show that through compliance to to the standards and the mm-hmm. expectations. But there was a frustration and, and maybe it was the, the, the standards or the rules or the expectations are changing. And so I never know if I'm being good enough and if I'm not being good enough, then how are you going to know that you're loved by me or that I love you? Mm-hmm. And so the ones really suffered that and and, 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 and drove themselves to be better than, than actually necessary. Yeah. And, and this is how they try to show love, try to show and prove it. But it's sadly also how in, in some ways they, they try to earn it. Gotcha. So that's a one. And, um, uh, so take us into a little bit of a two, how are they typically going to be motivated and you know, what are their fears? Yeah. So type two is the, like I said earlier, this is the need to, to be needed and, and sometimes called the helper. This person experienced a kind of, let's say rejection in relationship to a protective caregiver. And, and, and this is just tragic. It's, it's purely an accident, right? Mm. The two is, is maybe the most heart forward of the Enneagram type. So nurturing, so caring, so loving, so attuned to, to what people need and, and how to actually meet their needs and meet them in need. So what happens is as a little boy or a little girl, you're, you're putting your heart out there. And what do people do? They respond by, by showing their hearts. And, and this was your fluency. This is how you got through in life, which was um, to, to, to lead with love. Well, there probably was an adult in your childhood who said to themselves, oh, no, we, we need to protect the heart of this little one. This heart's going to be taken advantage of. This heart's going to be broken. Somebody's going to um, not express or return gratitude to, to what's so loving here. And and so in an attempt to protect the vulnerability of the heart of the two, a protective caregiver sort of assumed that role. Well, the, you can imagine this. This little two is, is putting their heart out there, wanting yeah. it to be mirrored back in, in nurturing love. And, and maybe not understanding at ages two, three, four, or five, that protective love is also a kind of love. And so it felt like a rejection mm. when in fact it, it, it clearly wouldn't have been. And so in this feeling or this misreading of environment, the twos double down on this nurturing stance and become really, really driven to, to give themselves away. And, and they do this almost at their own expense while continuing to flatter themselves that this is what, what love looks like. Wow. Okay, so I'm a three wing four. So these next two, I'm all, I'm very fascinated. And our audio, well, so you just described a two, which is Megan. She's sitting in the room. She helps us with a lot of this podcast stuff. So she's over there crying right now as you're talking about this. <laughs> I'm mm. a three wing four. Our audio producer is a four. So these next two, we're going to be leaning in as well, really closely. Yeah. So so the three, just like the two and the four, are are in the heart center. Mm. These are the feeling types, and um, they're they're primarily concerned. With connection. Well, the three being right there in between two feeling types, right, being in the the center or the middle of of those heart heart types, actually turns out to be the most disconnected from their own heart. And so, a lot of threes sort of experience this this sort of hollowness, this this emptiness of heart because they're they're in their early holding environments. They 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 wanted or attached, let's say, to the nurturing caregiver, to the heart of a nurturing parent as a way of attempting to feel their own heart. Mm. Well, in attaching to that, they began to, to, to find the easiest grabs, the, the, the most natural um, ways of feeling. And, and so as a child, that's, that's typically through recognition, affirmation, mm. um, rewards, um, positive attention and it felt good. And, and for the little three, th- th- that made sense for the little three. Um, it, it made them actually know how to begin to access their heart. The problem was for, for, for little kids who, who began to, to, to sort of feed off of that recognition, that, 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 that attention, they mistakenly substituted it for true love. And, and so there was a thinness there of yearning for something more, but realizing this is easy. It's almost a fix. It's wow. it's a quick grab. And so this is a huge bummer for me because threes sometimes are, are called the achievers in, in the Enneagram. And it's not that the threes are more ambitious or more driven for success than any of the other 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 eight types. It's simply this is how the three actually began to um, feel love. But mm-hmm. the threes are smart. They're way smarter than that. And they know that 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 there was a thinness in that, that there was something beyond. And, mm-hmm. and so the poor three, it, it did drive them. 
and, and it drove them to, to sort of suffer this loss or this perception that they didn't have inherent value or worth. And so to prove themselves worthy or to make themselves more valuable, or even you see this with a lot of threes, ascribing value to their communities, to their significant relationships, to, to the things that they, they take part in, was just one other way for them to try to be seen, which for them was the proxy of being loved. And so for the three, we, we really have to, to move this um, sort of sense of I, I want to be seen as valuable to you are valuable. You mm -hmm. just press into your intrinsic worth and, and you don't have to earn it. It's, it's already been ascribed. Wow. Wow. Okay. You're, you've got a lot, of, bro. I'm amazed at how you're just reciting these things. I'm, th I'm <sighs> sure you do this a billion times, but this is incredible how you're just popping this off. It's like I'm, re it's like I'm listening to the audio version of your book. <laughs> Oh, man. Awesome. All right. So four, if we go yeah, to the next one. Yeah. So poor four. So four, um, <laughs> four, four. four suffers. Um, and, and, and we all suffer, but maybe no one suffers as acutely as, as the four because mm. in their early holding environments, there was a, a, a profound frustration and, and, and the frustration was in, in not being, um, well, it, it was a it was a misperception of not being equipped to be able to to, to know themselves for who they truly were, mm. and, and so the fear here is is the fear of 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 a loss of identity, and 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 this loss of identity really drives the four to to see in everyone else what they're afraid they can't see in themselves. So the poor four gets cliched and caricatured out is is really artistic or great with music or words or aesthetics and 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 again the four isn't in particular more artistic than the other eight types it's just that the four is so keyed in to seeing what is beautiful and, and, and significant mm. fabulous in everything and everyone else again as a way of, of projecting that suffering that they can't see themselves for as beautiful and fabulous and and, and mysterious as they are. And so the four suffers through life, feeling misunderstood, feeling as if they don't fit in, feeling as if um, they're, they're, there's something lacking within them that everybody else has, and, and they're trying to figure this out. And, and so we misunderstand the four actually quite a bit, and the fours get beat up the worst, I think, in the materials because they are so um, elusive, right? Mm -hmm. there's, there is this mysterious edge to the four. Um, but we, 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 we remind the, our, our friends who are fours, just like the threes, that the, the three doesn't have to prove its worth or value, and, and the four doesn't have to prove or even have its beauty shown by another, but that really it's, it's already there, and, and that resting in that truth is, is where the gift of, of, of the, their, their true identities come forward. Now, you have to be careful of fours because they're part of the detached or withdrawn social styles, mm. and, and, and the four sort of suffers this, this addiction to self-abandonment. And so if a four in your life sort of steps back or withdraws, it's not because they're, they're smug or elitist or aloof. It's because they're testing whether or not you're also going to abandon them. Mm. And so you just have to remember this with the fours. Um, if they step back, step towards them. But the fours are also among some of the most boundaried of the types, and, and so make sure you honor the boundaries. Just don't prove to them that that you're going to be another person in the long line of folks who they felt have sort of sold them out or, or betrayed them. Because mm -hmm. that just also sort of fuels that that sadness, that suffering that the fours really, really feel. Well, I love what just I love that you mentioned that because I think one of the things I love about studying the Enneagram is not just for my own self-discovery, but the people that I love around me. And how do I love them really well? And how do I understand them? And maybe how they're responding to things or reacting or perceiving mm -hmm. things. And it helps me to be able to love them the way that they that they need love. And so I love mm -hmm. that you added that insight into it, that if you have someone in your life who is a four and they're responding in this way, or for that matter, any of these types. And I think that's yeah. why it's important for all of you guys, that whether you're a one or two and you've already heard your type, you should continue to listen and hear and try to maybe uh, think, do I have somebody in my life that seems to fit this? Oh, that provides some explanation as to how they're responding, why they're responding this way. Yeah. So, all right. So five. So five is now five is the first of, of, of these types here that we sort of locate in the, the head center. These are the thinking types. These are, are the types that really sort of evacuate into their mind and, and the five, the most cerebrally evacuated of, of all types. The, the, the five is, is really misunderstood actually, much mm. like the four, because the four and the five sit there at the bottom of the circle and there's a little gap between the four and the five that's sometimes called the existential hole. And this is where there's a lot of, um, 
angst and, mm. and, and, and suffering that takes place. Well, the suffering uh, of the five is, is the suffering of, uh, of not being able to uncover the essence in all things. And mm. so the five um, really gives themselves to the mental, mental pursuits of, of, of finding solutions, of, of actually asking the right questions. And what's really misunderstood here in the five is um, their de- detached or their withdrawn stance isn't that they, 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 they want to push everybody out. It's, it's how they attempt to love us mm. by, by stepping into their minds to help sort of create stability and security and, and, and solutions. And, and so the fives are, are, are very deliberate and, 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 and this deliberateness is sort of a calculation. And the calculation is how will I spend my energy? And, mm-hmm. and generally a five won't spend that, let's say in, in, in social environments. Now that's, 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 there's always an exception to this. The, the five will, will spend that energy in the pursuits of analysis, analysis and, mm. and theorizing and, and sussing out very complex, very complex solutions. And then when the five chooses someone, the five is incredibly generous and, and will bring those those gifts back in, in relationships. But man, the five is is brilliant. And, yeah. and, and, and what's interesting about the five is they love learning, but but teachers actually slow fives down. And, mm. and so... They don't even really need um, conversation partners. Just put them in front of a computer and, and leave them alone, and they'll, oh. they'll get at it. Wow. So. Wow. Okay, so moving around the wheel, we get to a six. My wife's sitting here next to, to me now, um, uh, my, my new wife. We got married a year ago, um, as I just told you, our, kind of our story, Chris. But um, she is a seven-wing six. Yeah. So she brings, we'll find out in a second, the fun into every equation. But she also has that wing six. So tell us a little bit about a six. Yeah, so the six is right there in in the middle of the head center, and and just like the three in the middle of the heart center is the most disconnected, most disconnected from their heart. The the six is sometimes the most disconnected from from its its head, and this this is simply because the numbers on 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 either side of you are called your wings, mm-hmm. and and so if a three has a two and a four wing. Um, those wings are in your heart. Mm. If the six has a seven and a five wing, those wings are still in your head. So in a sense, you you don't have another intelligent center to to sort of bring depth Off or accountability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the six sits there between the most cerebrally evacuated and 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 the most cerebrally withdrawn five, and, and then the most curious and imaginative and playful seven. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot of energy for the six to have to manage or negotiate. And, and so what this causes is sometimes a, a kind of second guessing mm. um, or, or an inner doubting that, that, that the sixes struggle with. And, and so what the sixes want to do is, is, to, is to bring peace. The sixes want to actually realign with their sense of courage and, and they really become a, a, a force of faith in the world. But, but they do this even through second guessing and doubting themselves. Mm. And so they're incredible contingency planners and incredible problem solvers, but they're worst case scenario thinkers at times. And, and this isn't pessimistic and it's not negative. It's how can I care for the people I love the most? And how can I do that? Through threat forecasting. So the four will, I'm sorry, so the six will, will think through all the possible threats. And then the six will actually double down and think, now I've not gone far enough. Mm. There's something even worse out there. And so this is why the sixes are often misunderstood as 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 as, as the most afraid, mm-hmm. and unfortunately they call the, the 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 mental fixation of the six cowardice. And, and I don't think that it's it's true fear, and I don't think it's actually cowardice. I think this is a subconscious, intentional going there for the rest of us. Mm. This is how the six loves, and this is how the six cares for us. And, and so you 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 need to listen to the sixes in your life because, just like rabbits, just like deer, just like all these sort of these, you know, the, the spider senses that sort of yeah. know there's danger on the horizon way before anybody else does, they're, they're in tune to that. And, mm. and that's part of their social gift, actually. Wow. But there, there's a brilliance with the six and, and there's a sensitivity to the six. Mm-hmm. There's also an edge. There's also an edge to the six. Um, but when a six says yes, um, you, you can be, you can count on that. Extremely loyal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're right there with you. Wow. All right, so moving to the seven, the fun, the party animal of the whole equation. Yeah, so the sevens are ridiculous. They're amazing. Carefree and forever young. <laughs> but this is a, a, a great misunderstanding um, about the sevens as well because this is where you really 
Um, this is where you see the, the, the pain of the seven come forward is when we don't take them seriously, mm. right? Sevens are also in their head. And, and so they're, 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 they're fast thinkers. And in fact, I, I do believe this. I think the seven is the fastest thinker at the Enneagram. I, I think the seven is the most sort of fluent in problem solving, mm. but there's there, like I said, there's this playfulness about them. Now, now if you look at the Enneagram drawing, you'll see this, that type two and type seven are, uh, sort of anomalies. There's there's a, a, a divergence here from what's typical of all the other types. And and what you see in that is that type two does not have a natural connection to the head center. And that type seven does not have a natural connection to its heart center, right? Type mm-hmm. seven has a wing in the body and a wing in the head. You see these crisscrossing lines in there. Type seven has a, a line into the body and a line into the head. Mm-hmm. There, there's no touch point in, in the three heart center types for the seven. Huh. So as children, what the seven does to compensate is it attaches um, to the, the the nurturing caregiver's heart and it just feeds off of it and it feeds off of it and, and it tries to get close to uh, another heart to, 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 to help itself realize what does my heart feel like and, and do I also have this organ of perception mm-hmm. as, as something accessible to me. The thing about the seven, though, is there's this an insatiability. There's this drive in the seven, and 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 enough is never enough for the seven. And so this leads to a profound experience of frustration, and the frustration that the seven um, projects onto its its nurturing caregiver really becomes sort of the life script here. And and so the frustration is, I want more of whatever it is that's going to actually keep me from not feeling my own pain, but, but getting close to, to the pain or the joy or, or the heart of another, mm. because the seven is afraid that if they actually access their, their own heart, that the pain is going to be too much. So the seven's on constant vacation from that. And, and the seven is on constant move from that. And so being in the present can be very difficult for the seven. Um, but that's where the seven will actually find, um, their, their rootedness, their groundedness. That's where the seven's going to really come alive. This is why sevens are, are incredible humanitarians and, and, and therapists and, 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 and mental health care providers because they can get really close to other folks' pain mm. and not be emotionally drawn into it. And because of that that really fast mind, they, they can actually offer really great solutions. Wow. But sevens are a blast. Sevens, um, just like fours and just like ones, are, are frustrated idealists, mm. right? The ones idealize perfection, the fours beauty, and, and the sevens freedom. And so they become a real source of, of levity, but, but ultimately a source of, of freedom in their relationships. Man, I feel like it's, we got to catch a breath for a second. <laughs> okay. And eight, how we go. <laughs> so eights, I'm, I'm dominant in type eight. Okay. I was going to um, ask you what you were. I think I remember you saying that in the book, but yeah, an eight. Yeah. Um, it's pretty funny because usually when we introduce eights, everybody, somebody inevitably will say, oh yeah, I used to work with a really unhealthy eight. And what I basically <laughs> want to say is no, they were just an eight. You just didn't stand up for yourself because <laughs> eights are too much. And, and they're, and, and, and sadly they're, they're too much for themselves. And, and so this is where that mental fixation of vengeance kicks in. They, 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 mm. they beat themselves up pretty hard once they realize it. But, but when they're unaware of their too muchness, they, they can come across as almost overwhelming, right? They're mm. the initiating force of the Enneagram. This is the, the bully who, who hates bullies. This is mm. the person who's, um, let's say, not as, as tough as they come across, but they are as mean. And, and this is because the eight um, experienced a kind of um, smothering of, 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 of nurturing energy in their childhood, right? The eight wants to be alive. The eight is, is fundamentally afraid of, of being destroyed. Um, but the eight also needs to be in control and, and really loses their center when they're not in control. Mm. So the eight's afraid of being destroyed then, and the eight needs to be in control. They also want to be in control of their own self-destruction. <laughs> if the eight wants to be in control and, and they're, they're really disconnected from their heart center and here comes the, the, the loving heart of a nurturing parent or caregiver it feels like a different kind of control and the eight also doesn't want it. So typically the eight would reject that and it would reject nurturing care as, as manipulative, as overwhelming, mm-hmm. as smothering. And, and in the rejecting of that, that the, the nurturing love that was offered to an eight, 
the eight doubled down on a protective stance. Doubling down on this protective stance often meant that part of an eight's childhood was accelerated. They grew up too quick. They, mm-hmm. they lost part of that. And so what you see in eights as adults is they're, they're, they're protecting and hiding their own vulnerability because there's part of their, their childhood, there's part of that inner child that was never allowed to or able to come out. But there's a tenderness in there. And when the eights can align with that tenderness, um, you, you really see a different kind of strength and a different kind of beauty. Now, the eights are, 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 are they can be really vulgar and inappropriate. The eights love to, to sort of be contrarians and, and, and pick on folks. The eights love fights and, and they don't back down from that. And this is how the eight is, is testing people in their lives. Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to determine, are you going to betray me? Or is my inner child safe with you? Or... Um, will, will you will you be trustworthy? And if I tell a dirty joke or use foul words and, and that is enough to cause you to dismiss me, fabulous. We, mm. we already worked that out and, and I'm off and on to the next person. So if there's eights in your life, it's like stay with them. Like mm. if they push, push back. If, if you feel like they're, 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 they're being a little rough, stand up for yourself. Because once they do choose and, 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 and trust you, again, there, there's nobody who will take better care of you and will really, really get your back. Now, a lot of eights make great humanitarians also, but but this is simply, and just like we do this in nine different ways, this is simply the projection of, of it's the proxy battles outside ourselves that we are very fluent in, in, in fighting or attending to that we just don't want to um, look inside ourselves. And so for eights, it is really a return to that inner child and and, and, and allowing that inner child to to, to mature, but also to, to be the vulnerable part of yourself that you're, you're afraid you, you may have. Wow. All right. We finally reach a nine, which poor nines, they always come last, don't they? Right. <laughs> uh, so usually you may have seen this before. Usually we would start with type A and we'd mm-hmm. start in the body and we move from the body into the heart, from the heart into the head. Yeah. So poor sevens usually get, get the <laughs> last, get the last. it's impossible for sevens to even sort of want to stick around. Uh, um, that's true. They're off to something else. <laughs> trick to keep them in the room. Um, so the nines, the nines um, sit at the top of the circle of the Enneagram and, and really a lot of the, 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 the great teachers and, and, and great minds and, and, and masters of this tradition would say in a sense that the nine is the archetype of all human character mm. structure that we all just basically fall off the top of this circle and sort of diminishing versions or renderings of type nine, right? Mm. If you draw a vertical line up and down the circle, you would you would sometimes hear that to the right of the circle or maybe the more feminine energies and to the left, the more masculine energies to, to the right, the more um, receptive um, kinds of impressions to the left, the more active or, or aggressive. Mm. But but the nine basically just says, nah, I'm, I'm holding all that together. Like we're, we're not gendering this. We're, we're not doing any of this. There's room for all of us because we belong together and, and we hold one another together. Mm. The, the nine um, as a child was, you know, the nine is, is born to be a source of love. And this is the holy idea of the nine. And the holy ideas for all nine types are our unobstructed views of reality. It's how we see the world as it should be, even if it's not yet as it needs to become. Mm-hmm. Well, well, the holy idea of the, the nine is holy love. And so the nine is born to be a source of love. And so as little kids, what these nines did was they, they, they sort of scanned and sized up their early holding environments. They, they saw that, that, that maybe there was a pronounced need in, in their family or with a caregiver, a, a sibling or, or a parent. And, and the nine wanted to be present to that need. And so what they did was they took their own needs and, and let's say they sort of balled them up and, and put them in their back pocket by – by continuing with this sense of this is what love will look like. I will minimize what's important to me so that I can make what's important to you and more important to all of us. Now, the thing is, is the nine didn't simply minimize their needs, ball these up, set it down, walk away and completely forget about it. The nine actually sort of, let's say, tucked it in their back pocket. So there was that contact. There mm. It was always there. They were always reminded of it. The thing is, is they, they they very rarely took it out. And when they would take their needs out, when they would make their needs known, they would feel bad about it. They would begin to feel as if they were being selfish. And and so, again, they would just keep putting it back there. And and this is the the the, the suffering of the nine is, is minimizing what's important to them because they constantly make what's important to everybody else mm. most important. Yeah. And, and so this is why we sometimes say the nine is self-forgetting. The thing is, is there's this mental fixation of, of rumination in the head of the nine. And the rumination is, well, I'm still 
thinking about these things I've minimized. I haven't completely forgotten them, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm not going to bring them out. And so nines make incredible arbitrators, incredible mm-hmm. mediators. They're, 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 they're incredible referees. They, they can completely understand both sides of, of any argument. They can understand even better than, than we ourselves at times, um, diverse and varying positions. It's just a huge stressor and a bummer for them to have to pick a side because mm-hmm. they, they want to, harmonize and unite and, 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 and stitch and weave the world back together. Mm-hmm. But again, this is, is the projection of what the nine sort of suffers inside. And, and what's suffering inside is this inner fragmentation of, is it okay for me to make my needs important to myself? Mm-hmm. And so the nines are also withdrawn and, and, and attached. The nines do need a, a lot of autonomy. And, and, and this is where you know the nines are so chilled out in general, right? They're yeah. in that body center, eights, nines, and ones, which are the types that, that, that sort of walk around with a little bit of frustration or anger. The nines never, never really get all that mad until you actually start to tinker around mm-hmm. in the vulnerable and intimate parts of their minds and their hearts and, and, and who they are. But that's actually how the nines, I think, grow in discernment is, is accessing that anger and, 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 and allowing some of it to, to come forward. Being mad that um, they they were overlooked. Yeah. And, and and yes, maybe part of this was was subconsciously because they they minimized themselves, but but taking that power back and and really feeling that pain. Wow. Um it's absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for all of the the summary of that. I think this was super insightful for people just to even kind of get a little bit of a dive. Uh, what you and I both know is that you can keep going you can keep diving deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into layers of this. And we'd encourage all the listeners to do that, especially because we talk a lot about this, Chris, on the podcast about healing emotionally, Mm -hmm. mentally, especially when you're walking through trial, tragedy, trauma of any sort. Um, How would the Enneagram be a, a really useful tool in a situation where someone is or has found themselves walking through some some kind of pressure, stress, trial, adversity, um, how does this help us as we're walking through that? Yeah. So I so the enneagram it, there, there's so many there's so many ways to run around this circle and look at this, and and, and I would say this first and foremost, like I, I, I said earlier, the the so-called childhood wounds. I really don't think they're wounds. I, I think it, it, it was sensitivities. And, and I think if you can really try to work with the so-called childhood wound of the Instagram, Enneagram, what you're starting to, to sort of recognize and see here is where are your stress fractures? Where are the, the bits of your ego or your soul where you're, you, you are sensitive? Because that's telling you something about yourself. Mm. Now, what we do with with these sensitivities, with these stress fractures in our souls and our egos, is we bring type to cope. We bring type, type our enneagram type, to um, manage. These are these are our, our, our coping mechanisms. Yeah. And the truth is, is they become very very skilled over the course of our lifetime. And so I, I think what you learn with the enneagram is how you relate to your pain. Generally, is 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 through avoidance. It's through actually not being honest about it. It's not through facing it. It's not through holding yourself with compassion and 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 and, and sitting with it. But it's 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 managing it. It's it's attempting mm-hmm. to control it. It's it's attempting to deny it. It's attempting to 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 reassert its 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 impact or gift in your life. And your enneagram type will will clearly show you that. Your mm-hmm. your type will also show you that um your misperceptions. Let's say. Of of how some of our traumas have shaped us um, don't have to lead to blame, mm. and and they don't have to malform our notions of God. We 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 have to remember this that God is not as hard on us as we are on ourselves. Wow. That these voices of of regret or disappointment, fear or, or doubt, um, humiliation. This isn't the voice of of divine love. Yeah. These are are the voices we've we've sort of overlaid and and given subtitle power to sort of re-narrate life scripts to. And so your type really shows you this. I mean, and there's so many things sort of hidden in this that I think um, if you can bring this self-awareness forward, uh, allow you to, to to breathe into the the gift of of who you've who you've always been destined to to to, to be. And and this is the hard work of remembering mm-hmm. remembering what was what was lost. Wow. Um, you you talk kind of at the end of the book. You spend a lot of time talking about this. Uh, practices of 
quietness, solitude. Well, what was it? Stillness, solitude, and silence. And I don't want to dive too much into this because I really want to encourage our listeners to go and get your book and read it and dive into it for themselves. But I actually want to maybe tease it out a little bit by asking you a personal question, and maybe it'll help our listeners be excited about maybe their own type. I'm a type three, and you talked about one of the best ways for a a three to really be aware of and discover who they are um, and then get back home, so to speak, right? Get back to the truest version of themselves. Um, And as they're walking through the healing process of this is to engage in solitude. All right. Personal question, as we're landing this, what, what does that mean practically? You know, for me personally as a three, and I'm I'm sorry for all the other types out there who are listening right now, you're going to have to go pick up the book and see what Chris has to say about all of your types. But for me, man, I read it and I was like, Okay, I, I, I engage in solitude. Engage in solitude is two different phrases right there that were very important as you're splitting out all of these different practices. Practically speaking, how do I, Chris, engage in solitude? Yeah, so, so if the three really has this sort of <coughs> self-deceptive addiction that, that recognition is a substitute for love, then what the three constantly does through their life is they chase after those affirmations. Mm-hmm. And they do this as a way, like I said, of, of trying to access their own heart. But but it, it's like you're, you're, you're putting your palms um, near a fire, campfire to keep yourself warm. It, it's never going to actually sort of fully warm you up. And, mm-hmm. and so what the three needs to do is, is to, to just to fall head first head over heels all in and, and submerge themselves in divine love. Well, well, you can't, we can't do that for you. Nobody can, can give you that gift. And, and this is what the three is often doing. It's externalizing, um, outsourcing that work mm-hmm. so that if I see you, then you will be loved. If I affirm what's valuable in you, then you will be worth more worthwhile. And if you're more worthy, then you're more lovable. For the three, it's really simply embracing um, what you perceive to be that hollowness, that inner emptiness, and and you embracing it yourself for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's 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 entering that interior solitude without fear, um, and, and it's realizing that if you do go inward and you do your own work with yourself and and for yourself, you'll you'll see what what's always been true. And, and like I said earlier, it's that your value was ascribed through mm-hmm. your intrinsic dignity that you can't earn this. Mm-hmm. So that embracing solitude, that engaging solitude, that 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 really sort of recognizing we can't do for you what you aren't doing for yourself is 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 how you're going to be freed. But man if if the three continues to need external validation for their sense of worth or, or value, they're, they're never going to get it. They'll mm-hmm. never, ever, ever get it. Yeah. And so that solitude can be a lonely place for the three, and that's why um, it's an important place to, to go into. Wow. That's great. That's really helpful. Well, I am going to strongly encourage every single one of our listeners to go pick up Chris's book, The Sacred Enneagram. We're going to have uh, some resources on this podcast page available where um, where you can just very easily access uh, where to purchase this book. But I'm, I'm telling you, this is one of the one of the best, if not the best resources, I believe, in just discovering yourself, um, discovering who God made you to be, but also discovering some of the brokenness within yourself, being able to see it, not as just like a, uh, not as an excuse for who you are, but as an explanation for who you are and then giving you a roadmap for how to get back um, into how God created you to be, especially if you're healing through some kind of adversity or trauma or tragedy. I think it's um, extremely helpful. Chris, what are some other helpful resources for people if they want to dive into this idea of the Enneagram a little bit more? Sure. So I, I would say this. Um, we we host um, workshops literally all over the world, um, mm. and uh, and I've not done, let's say, 40 of them in the last year, but probably more than 33. Wow. Uh if you go to sacredenneagram.org, you can sort of see a, a hit list of, of where there are going to be. And, and if um, you're able to ever register for any of those, we do really great work together in those workshops, and we actually go really deep. Um, I think the International Enneagram Association is a fabulous community to get connected to, and um, they have chapters all over the world. And, and so throughout the U.S. and North America are really active groups regionally and, 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 and in some really great cities. And if you happen to live in one of those cities, 
Um, some of these groups meet weekly, some of them meet monthly, some of them meet quarterly. It, it's great to do this this work together. Mm. Um, and, and then I think, um, you know, of course, like the the usual suspects out there with the Enneagram Institute and, and the work that Russ Hudson and, and others are doing, or the narrative tradition, the work that Helen Palmer, uh, Marion Gilbert and others are doing. And then, of course, the work that Beatrice Chestnut and, and some of these folks are doing. I, I think whenever you can chase down some of these great living teachers and masters and, and, and train and study with them, it just it just uh, brings such such depth to to, to this tool. Mm. But here's here's the thing, you know, the Enneagram of personality is really just probably a 45 year old overlay, mm. and 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 there's still so much to to sort of be uncovered and and to be brought forward in this. And so, I just say if you you love the teaching, um, get at it and stay with it and and stay curious with it because I I, I think the work that we're trying to do around here is is to continue to just sort of unscrew the lid on this jar and say, look what else is in here. Look what else is in here. Mm. If you just simply need to sort of learn about your type and, 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 and understand yourself, that's the important first step. Yeah. But, um, but also just be careful that it doesn't lead to kind of sort of fueling your own narcissism. Right. Navel but gazing. that really yeah. <laughs> leads to your own sort of soul work, right. loosening the grasps of your addictive tendencies, behaviors, and and the patterns that keep you and keep us all really asleep and, and stuck. Yeah, that's so good. I want to reiterate that. I think f discovering your type, being self-aware is really only the first step. It's then what you do with that that really provides the transformational power that is necessary for you know, walking this world as a follower of Jesus. I mean, this is Romans 12, right? Not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is what, I mean, this is the one of the biblical applications, I feel like, for the Enneagram is being able to, to become transformed more into the likeness and image of who Christ is and who he created us to be. So I would definitely um, reiterate that to everybody who's listening right now. And uh, Chris, man, you're brilliant. We appreciate the work you're doing so much. I appreciate you jumping on this with us and sharing so much insight, being so generous with your with your insight and your wisdom in it. Um, it's an honor just to been been able to get to know you over the past hour. Yeah, I appreciate you having me and, and appreciate the good work you're doing here with us. Thanks, man. Great to have you. You guys join us next time on the po on the podcast. We'll see you. That dude is brilliant. Yes, he brilliant. is. Brilliant. That might be an understatement. Yeah. I felt very intimidated talking to him. I felt if like that I was an like, understatement, if he's not brilliant, what oh, is he? I don't he? even know Think what about a greater for a word for brilliant is. I can't. Me neither. But we were like, should I pick up my phone right now and Google? No, no, you should. Synonyms for brilliant. <laughs> no, he's more than brilliant, though. Hey, we what's really cool, that. too, is off air. I asked him if we could have another conversation, a follow-up conversation down the road on how Enneagram types relate to each other. Okay. So we just went over, like did an overview of Enneagram types and what that looks like and why that's important as an important tool for transformation. But he wants to, and was super geeked out over it, have another conversation about how, for instance, a type three relates to a type seven or awesome. a type two relates to a type six Yeah. so that you can, with your coworkers, with your boss, with your, um, your significant other, right. your spouse, whatever it is, yeah. you can learn how to relate with them and empathize with them. That would be and great. he's going to dive into that with us at a later date. We'll definitely keep you up to date on that so stuff. Fun. Thank you, Chris. I know. That's so kind. So generous of him. Yeah. Well, if you would like to get connected to other resources of Chris's, resources Chris's. of Chris's. That was a lot of S's. Of um, you Chris can head Hewitt's. to com slash podcast. This is episode 43. And um, we'll have a link to his book, The Sacred, Sacred Enneagram. <clears throat> there it is. The Sacred. The Sacred. Yes. The Sacred, sacred Enneagram. Enneagram uh, the workshops that he talked about and uh, some other books and resources that he has out there for you. So, yes head over to that podcast page. Yes. And as always, we want to thank the writer of the oh, afterword man. of the Sacred Enneagram. Yeah. Come on, somebody. Ryan O'Neill, Sleeping at Last. Thank you, Ryan, that, thank for you, Ryan. catching us in our field. Download his music anywhere where you can download and stream music. Yeah. And make sure you join us again next time for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Love you guys. <laughs>